This is part of a series of podcasts featuring candidates for the Hamilton Southeastern School Board. In this round of school board elections, voters cast ballots only for the candidates running in the district in which that voter resides. On this podcast, our guest is Julie Chambers, currently serving as president of the board. She is nearing completion of her first four-year term and is running for re-election in District 4. Assisting me in this podcast series are two students, Kate Lancer, senior at HSE High School, and Casey Alexander, a junior at Fishers High School. Kate is unable to join us today, but has provided Casey with questions to ask Ms. Chambers. So, Julie Chambers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. As uh, mentioned before, you have served nearly four years on this school board, uh, yet with so many families moving into the district on a regular basis. Many may not know you, so spend a couple of minutes uh, just talking about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you both for having me today. Uh, So I am Julie Chambers. I am a mom of two. I've got a fifth grader and a third grader, um, both in HSC schools. Uh, My husband works for the federal government for the Defense Department, DFAS in Lawrence, the Finance Center. I'm an attorney. We moved here in 2008, and I started as a deputy prosecutor in Marion County, was there for almost five years, and then started my own law practice coming up on 10 years ago, um, based in Lawrence. And I've enjoyed being on the board. Um, It's been one of the greatest honors um, serving our community and our schools. Um, I'm a product of public schools my entire life. My mom was a public school teacher her entire career. Um, So I know how important our public schools are and I really believe our, our schools are the bedrock of our community. And I've been really proud to help move us forward and, and keep us as great as we are. Um, you know, I've covered the school board for over 10 years, and I've seen up close and personally what board members deal with on a regular basis. So with that in mind, what motivated you to seek another term on the board? I think we've done some great things, um, but there are still some things that I think we can move the district forward in. Um, a couple of my ideas that I've talked with administrators about and community members that I would love to push forward is expanding our early learning program. We've got a great preschool program, but it's pretty small, housed in just a couple of buildings and only can house a very small number of students. Um, and I think the data is very clear that kids that have access to early learning preschool have incredible outcomes um, down the road. So I would love to see that expanded. Um, we're working on looking at whether to join the Pursuit Institute or growing our own CTE program in some way. And that's been a huge push for me too over the past four years. I'm always proud of our students that go to college and university, but those kids that have a different path, we're just as proud of. And I want to make sure we have those opportunities for them to explore different career paths for the military and that we're supporting them um, in whatever way they need. I will now turn the questioning over to Casey Alexander. Uh, So this first question is going to be from Kate. Um, It says on your website that uh, our schools will, quote, only continue to get better if we have leaders that will really listen, work with parents, the community, and our educators to help our children succeed. How have you as a current board member accomplished this? That's a great question. I think being part of the community, being out in the community, attending events, meeting with parents. Um, When I first came on the board, Janet Pritchett and I made an effort, and I think we hit almost all of them. Um, although COVID kind of hit pretty quickly there after over that next year, visiting all of the schools, um, not as oversight, but just to meet the principals and the building leadership 
to see what's going on, what's working, things that they would want the board to know about. Um, I've gone to community meetings, met with parents um, that reach out. We get hundreds, if not thousands of emails on different topics, and we read every single one, at least I do. Um, we try to respond to all of them, although I'm sure some miss <laughs> miss that when you're trying to reply. <laughs> right. um, the board president usually is, is tasked with responding to those, so this past year that's been my job. Um, so we do try to do that. Um, and just really listening. And I always tell people, listening is different than doing what everybody wants. So we as a board are really that oversight top level. We're not micromanaging. We're not in the buildings. We're not telling principals how to run their class or the teachers. Um, but we have to take all of that information and then at the end of the day, try to make the best decision we can for our students. And sometimes that's going to align with what the majority of parents want. Sometimes it may not exactly align with that because we're taking into consideration our teachers, our staff, our administrators, our students' needs, what resources we have available that we have to balance. The three-tier system was one of those, the bus system. Um, it's not ideal for everybody, and we get that, but we had to look at the resources we had, the number of buses and bus drivers, and try to figure out the best way to transport our kids with the resources and the, and the staff that we have. Right. So you mentioned uh, buses and and that immediately makes me think of school start times, um, uh, which has was decided over the past few years. Um, during that time, there was a committee of students that met with the school board and the superintendent to determine what would be beneficial for all of those. Um, and as a student myself, I can't vote in this election, uh, even though I am a junior in high school. Um, how would you represent students' voices as well? I think having those students at the table, especially on those big topics, is really important. Um, our superintendent has continued and I think has grown her student advisory councils. She not only meets with high school students, but has started meeting with groups in the middle schools and junior highs to get their feedback. Um, really hearing the school start time was a tough one because, again, that's yeah. one of those things that it's not going to please everybody. Um, we, ha we were trying to follow the science and the data on, on sleep patterns, depending on age groups. Um, I tell people it's not, I, I ended up voting for it. It's not something I loved either because I'm not a morning person. So now my littles are up <laughs> much earlier than they used to be. So sometimes as board members, you do have to t make that decision, even if it's not necessarily what you want for your family, but it, we've adjusted and we've worked through that. And as somebody that has two working families in our house, you know, we had right. um, before and after care issues there too. But I think just having them at the table, I've heard other districts that have had student advisors actually come to board meetings and provide feedback. Obviously they can't vote or anything, but, and that's something that I, I just saw some other districts doing and I'd be open to talking to student council or student government leaders on how they may be able to provide some more feedback. Right. Um, so, would you, as a student or as a school board member, how important would you say it is for board members to get actually into the schools and be assisting and be around those kids? I think it's incredibly important to be in the buildings. I think you have to do it in a way where you're setting that boundary that as a board member, you're not there to dictate how to run the school or a classroom. So as part of, like I mentioned, Janet and I visited all the schools and we made sure, at least I hope we tried to make sure the principals and building leadership knew we were just there to meet them, just introduce ourselves so we could have that relationship. Um, I volunteer in my kid's school during COVID. I got my sub license so I could sub 
to help keep our buildings open when we were short staffed. I can't get paid. So it's a volunteer basis because I'm a board member. Um, But being in that classroom, I think, is is a volunteer sub just to see the incredible work our teachers do, the relationships they have with the students and the flow in those buildings is so much different during the school day than if you're just there for an afternoon or an evening event. So I think it's really important as long as you're setting that boundary that you're there to help and not to dictate or order how to do things in the building. Right. So you just mentioned uh, being a substitute teacher and uh, Kate asked a question that was, how have your experiences as a substitute teacher affected your your perspective when making decisions for the school board? I think it, it, having that experience in a classroom, I, like I said before, my mom was a school teacher, so I grew up you know, going to the, I tell this story a lot, but in Michigan where I grew up back in the 80s and 90s, we didn't have air conditioning in our buildings. That was pretty standard. So I remember though in July getting, you know, taken to the teacher store, watching her buy her own supplies and then spending a very hot afternoon in her classroom, putting up the construction paper and helping her decorate her class and get ready. I watched her grade papers until 10 o'clock at night. I mean, I I know how much they do, but being in the classroom is such a different experience. Um, My mom is, it was an incredible educator. She's a wonderful grandmother. She has that gene. I, I think it missed me, (laughs) which is why I'm not a teacher. Um, I, I, teachers, they have something that you've got to have something special, but, um, I, I do my best with the kids as a sub and try to make their days as exciting and fun as I can while still making sure that they get the education they need that day following the teacher plan. But, um, it definitely helps to have that experience, even the few times that I've been able to do it as I'm considering our association feedback and the teachers just knowing kind of what that day looks like. Right. Another one from Kate here. Uh, recently, APC, or AC, sorry, not AP, uh, ACP and dual credit teachers were told that they would not receive raises for attending their master's degree, um, which is needed to teach their courses. Uh, now, HEC and Fishers are, losing, or are in danger of losing these valuable, or these valuable teachers. Uh, how would you feel about this budgeting and like, how would you change it? Or would you change it, more importantly? That's a tough question. (laughs) That's a big question. Um, So our budget, we try to provide as much funding and resources and pay to our teachers as we possibly can. Um, We are limited with the resources, the the money that comes in. Um, We're not a corporation that can just raise funds by selling more product, for example, right? Right. So we we have to be limited to that. Um, As a board member, I would always support funding those or paying that or raising teacher pay in any way we can. But it's also important to remember as a board member, I'm not necessarily in that negotiation room right. at the table negotiating the teacher contracts and teacher pay. Um, and that's really done between the association, our CFO, our superintendent, and kind of district leadership. Um, if there was a way to make sure that that was covered, um, I would be supportive of that. Um, but we have to do that within the constraints of our budget too. Right. Um, so you just mentioned budget. Um, what are the three things, if you could fund any three programs with magical money in our school district, what would they be? Uh, it would definitely be preschool. Right. Preschool and daycare potentially. I've, I've, seen, I've seen districts that have um, daycare before and after care for even younger kids as a benefit to our teachers, which I think would be incredible. Um, being able to, ha- to hire a new teacher, uh, a new staff member and say, you know, look, we, 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 respect you we treasure you your work here um and knowing that they have a place to send their their little while they're at work before and after would be huge um as somebody who's had to pay for daycare um and before and after care 
because we don't have any family here to help, I, I know how incredibly expensive that is right. um, and how difficult it is to even find a spot for, for your child. So if I just had a ton of money, I would expand all of that, bring it all in-house and, and have that as a benefit um, to our staff and as a benefit to the community um, to pay into and, and come into our, our buildings early on. Um, CTE, I would expand that, um, build out as much as we could. Um, we've got some incredible programs already with welding and um, computer engineering, computer science. We've got some medical programs, dentistry. Now we do a lot of that now through partnerships with other districts and other schools. Um, if I had a ton of money that was magic, I would be, build all of that out completely so our kids could have access to any program that they wanted. Um, because I think leaving high school... Uh, hopefully with an idea of what interests you and what path you want to go down, whether that's college or university or a trade or getting a certificate, um, can really help save that student a lot of time, energy, and money um, down the road. And so being able to offer those would be huge. Um, I would raise teacher pay if I could, uh, you know, as much as we could. I think the number of hours that they work above and beyond their contracted hours um, is probably incalculable. Um, and being able to capture all of that, I think we, we should do as much as we can. I think we do a pretty good job of it. We're, we try to stay as competitive as we can. But like you said, if I had magic money, it'd be a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so with, uh, you mentioned the CTE programs, uh, another program that is has the potential of coming into our district is the Pursuit Institute, I think. Yes. Um, where's your stance on that? I think the Pursuit Institute is a great opportunity. Um, so how we do it now, we're partnered with Jay Everett Light mm -hmm. um, in Indianapolis. And so we essentially pay them a per-student fee to send some of our kids there. We do some of it in-house. We actually have some of their educators at HSC teaching. their employees mm -hmm. at JEL, but they teach here because we have the, the facilities in our district. Um, but it is very costly, um, upwards of a million dollars that we pay per year for just a few hundred students. Now, the opportunities, I think, are worth it, but it is a lot of money. Um, so with the Pursuit Institute, the county came together, and this has been talked about for some years. Um, the county commissioners, the county council came together and said, we'd really like to see a countywide um, program that all of our kids and all of our schools could access. And I really do think it could be a great opportunity. It's essentially a net zero the way it's set up, we pay into it um, some of the funds we get, but then the Pursuit Institute will pay us back out of the funds they get back. Um, and we would have the shared resources with Carmel and Noblesville um, and all of the districts uh, in the county um, that our kids could access some of those other programs. And I think having that strong relationship that we already do with our, our county schools, um, we can just continue to build on that. Right. Uh, so we've talked a lot about uh, outside of the classroom learning, but then Kate uh, asked, how do you plan or how do you plan on expanding innovation inside the classroom? I think a lot of that comes down to trusting our teachers. Um, they are our professionals. They are um, trained in how to educate and trusting them to continue their education, to go out and find new ways to bring the material to the students and just bring it to life um, is something that they, they are the experts at and know how to do. Um, obviously, our teachers will always follow state standards and the guidelines and what they need to be teaching, but how they do that um, can look very different from teacher to teacher. Um, and if we don't trust them to do that and we don't trust them that they want the best out of our kids, they want our kids to succeed and excel, and they will find the best way to do that to really 
like I said, bring them to your life and get the kids excited about it, I think is one of the best ways. Um, and just being supportive of trying new things. And sometimes those things may not work, um, but that's okay. My daughter's third grade teacher asked them, I don't know if she asks them every day, but they do the community circle. Um, and my daughter comes home and says, you know what question she asked us? She said, what did you fail at today? And I just think that's such a great way to look at it because she's trying to teach our kids that it's okay to try new things. And it's okay if that maybe doesn't work out. But if you learn something from it and move forward, it can be incredible. And I think that's part of bringing that innovation and letting our teachers try new things um, and see, see if it works. And if not, maybe try a different way. Right. So how important do you think it is to redistrict? Uh, I remember this was, what, two years ago, um, that there was this huge redistricting. Um, how important do you think that was to our district? Uh, you can't see my face on the radio. <laughs> it's a cringe. It's cringe. Uh, it, is it important? It is necessary. Right. Do we love it? No. <laughs> Nobody wants to redistrict. Um, nobody wants to move schools. We completely understand that. Um, I think the struggle, obviously, HSC has faced. Oh, sorry, I'm touching it. <laughs> um, the struggle HSC has faced is just our incredible growth, exponential growth over year over year. Um, my hope is that with the discussions around Fisher's Elementary, potentially a new intermediate school, if we can, if we can make that work and really create a true feeder system, I think we will set ourselves up in the future where we don't have to redistrict as often as we have. Without having that extra intermediate school, it has made it very difficult when we're moving and having to look. But if we had that, you would essentially just district out the elementary schools and they would just feed into the middle and high schools. And I think that would make things a lot easier. So that is absolutely our goal, to get it right. That's what the, the most recent one we did was very small. We tried to move as few people as possible because we knew we were kind of looking forward to this bigger fix. Um, and I think that's our ultimate goal. Right. Uh, so what um, a, lot of, or a lot of talk recently has about how HSC's uh, graduation numbers are lowering. How or what new ways do you have in mind for preparing HSC students post-graduation? Well, regarding the, the drop in college enrollment, um, I would note that we we did see a, a bit of a drop. If you look at our 2022 college readiness report from the state, mm -hmm. those that report is based on 2020 graduate numbers. Right. So I don't think if anybody is surprised that there was a, a drop in college <laughs> enrollment after 2020, yeah. you just weren't paying attention. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, in 2020, kids were graduating and looking at remote college. So the idea that kids wanted to take a year or two off, it's just not surprising to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you also compare us to the state, our drop is nearly identical. Um, we're at about 75% college enrollment rate based on 2020 numbers. The state went from 60-ish to about 53%. So we're still well, well above the state average college enrollment. Um, I think it's always important, and just because the way our community is, I mean, we tend to be a very highly educated, active community. So the fact that we have a higher rate is just also not surprising to me. Uh, but I think... Over the years, maybe the past five to ten years, people have started realizing that college necessarily isn't for everybody or maybe not right away. So when you're looking at these college enrollment rates, they're looking at kids that enrolled directly after high school. Um, a lot of kids are starting to say, well, maybe I'll take a gap year, really kind of try things out to see when I do go because the rates of college tuition have skyrocketed so much, right. they don't want to waste time taking classes to figure out what they like. So maybe they'll take a gap year, travel, work, and try to figure out so when they do enroll, they're ready to just jump in. So those kids aren't necessarily captured. Um, our trade program, I mean, people are just recognizing that we need 
work, we need those workers. We need those highly skilled, highly trained electricians, plumbers, welders, people like that. And you don't necessarily have to go to university for that. And I think as a district, it's our obligation to support those kids that are interested in that different path um, and, and support them in any way we can. So I do think we're doing an incredible job. We've got our AP. We have our IB program. We have um, honors classes. I mean, we've had juniors in high school being recruited by elite, you know, Ivy League colleges. The idea that we're not prepping our kids for college, I think, is just misplaced. Um, But I think we do absolutely have to support those other kids who are on a different path or maybe want to try something different before going to college. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, Right. So... A lot of issues recently have also been raised about parent uh, transparency. Um, how would you either increase that or if it uh, or just bring light to the ways that it is already transparent? Yeah, I think I think HSE really does a great job of sharing all of our information. All of our curriculum is online. Um, you can access that. We through the use of our well, now we're one to one and and we have, use Canvas and things like that. Parent Square, all of those alerts are pushed out. Parents have access to log in and check their kids' assignments, their grades. We have uh, access to parents check in and just see whatever library books their kids check out. Literally, none of this is hidden. Um, I've now. My kids are younger, so right. the oldest is in fifth grade, so I've gone all the way through high school. But <laughs> I've never had an experience where I had a question and a teacher wasn't willing to meet with me and talk about it um, or explain why they were doing something or why they were reading a particular book or how they were going to present the information. Um, and I really do think our, our teachers want parents involved. Um, they're always asking for parent volunteers. We need people to come in and help kids read. Um, they read to them in the hallways, work with them on math, tutor the kids. Um, we need substitutes. There's a myriad of ways to be involved in our buildings. The one thing I think we can do better is figure out how are we sharing this information, who's getting it, and where are those gaps? Is, is there a way that we can share the information or push it out or make it available differently so that more people are seeing it um, and I think that that may help. But I do think we we do everything we can to make sure any information parents want, they can access. Um, so you've been on the board now for four years, right? Uh, almost four. Almost yes. four, right. Uh, so what's left? Like what, what have you – well, first of all, what have you accomplished in that four years that you're proud of? And then second of all, what is what's the next four years looking like? Yeah. Well, some of the things I'm really proud of, um, we updated our non-discrimination policy. We heard a lot of feedback from families and students that that was needed. Um, And I was really proud of the students that spoke up and the families that came to our meetings and participated in that conversation. Um, I was incredibly proud to help vote to bring solar energy to our district, um, which is saving our district money, Um, supporting the student that thought of and brought the project of getting a grant for an electric bus um, and supporting that. I mean, that was student-driven. A student project brought it to our director of transportation and really kind of got that off the ground. And then they kind of took it it and got that grant. And and supporting that has been great. Um, And just supporting our teachers. I think our teachers and families – deserve a board that that truly honors and supports our staff and our teachers because they are the front line of educating our students. Um, And I've been honored to do that, and it would be an honor to continue to do that. Looking forward again, looking at Fisher's Elementary, um, the redistricting, the creating a a feeder system I think is really important, working to expand our early learning, um, and just continuing to help support our students. 
Uh, so this is final question, yeah. Two more questions. Two more. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Um, so you've mentioned pre-K like a few times now. Um, why does that concept excite you so much? And like, how how can it bring so much benefit to those in the district? Well, I think if you if you look at the data, it, it's pretty clear that a student or a child that has access to pre-K has better outcomes down the road. Um, they're just a, a exposed to more words, more interaction, and it just helps set the path for their educational experience in the future. Um, being able to bring our families in that are in our district into our buildings early on, I think if we could have a preschool program in every elementary school, for example, it makes that transition to kindergarten that much easier because they're already used to the building. They're used to seeing the teachers. They're used to that experience um, and can really help that transition go a lot smoother, um, can help bring additional funds into the district. Um, preschool is not something that is state funded. So it's not necessarily something we get tuition dollars for like we do K through 12. So it is something we can get grants for in some cases, um, but it could be a tuition-based system, which can help bring funding back into the, the district as well and get families just involved in our school district that much earlier and see all the great things we're doing. Uh, my last question is, during your tenure as a school board member, how would you respond if individual teachers or children were specifically targeted, insulted, and berated by a fellow school board member using their official school board media page for expressing an opinion that differs from the adult in the office? So I think it's absolutely um, not something a board member should do, ever target or speak individually about a student or a teacher. Um, as board members, really our vote is our voice, and that's in the boardroom. Um, other than that, I think it's our duty to support and uplift our students and, and teachers, even if there's something happening we don't necessarily agree with. There are other avenues to address that, maybe with the superintendent. Right. But speaking out in, uh, about individual teachers or students, I think, is something that absolutely should not happen um, and is really, is really shameful. As a board member, it's hard when you ask, how do I address it? Right. Um, that's where it becomes difficult because as another board member, I also don't think it's necessarily appropriate for me then to start posting on Facebook about other board members and in, in, in speaking out because it just kind of creates this storm of social media. Right. <laughs> um, and as board members, there really isn't any way to hold another board member accountable. They, they do have their, their rights to speak and, and say what they want. Um, the, the real way to hold people accountable if the community feels like something has been done that shouldn't have is at the ballot box. As we wrap this up, a question from me. Um, there are some, uh, Ms. Chambers, in the community arguing that programs such as social-emotional learning, known as SEL, or diversity, equity, and inclusion, known as DEI, that these programs are taking educators and their energies away from core learning. What is your view uh, about these programs? I think they're incredibly helpful and important. I think the best way and the way I see them in that I see them in use in our schools is really where it's woven into the curriculum and really becomes an organic part of the learning day. Um, I take you back to, I think I, I mentioned before when my youngest teacher asked him, like, what did you fail at today? That's not just about talking about literally what they failed at. It's about helping them learn that 
It's okay to try things. It's okay to believe in yourself to try new things. And if you're not successful, how do you take that and learn from it and move forward? And that's really part of SEL. It's about learning how to learn, how to interact with each other, um, how to interact with your fellow students. Um, our community is incredibly diverse. And as a public district, we take our kids as they come to us. And we have to create an environment that every student that walks into our building, regardless of their abilities, um, if they're special needs or an exceptional learner or come from a different culture or country or they're ENL students, English as a new language, whatever they come to us as, they have to feel comfortable in our classrooms or they will not learn. If a student is sitting in a classroom and is feeling anxious because they don't feel safe or they don't feel welcomed, they're not going to remember that math lesson or the biology lesson. Um, they go into a fight or flight because they, they want to feel comfortable. So it's, it's really just about creating an environment that every student can walk into our building and know that they're cared for and that they're supported and so that they can learn. Final question is the last question I, I pose to each candidate, your opportunity to just give a closing statement, uh, something Casey, uh, Kate, or myself did not think to ask anything you'd like to add before we close out the podcast. Well, I just thank you so much for doing this. I think it's such a great um, great thing for the community to hear from candidates. Um, I've been honored, like I said, to serve on this board. Um, and I would be honored to serve another four years and just continue to support our staff and students. Um, we've been making some great things, great things happen in our district um, with Dr. Stokes and the board we have. And I would just really love um, for your vote on November 8th or before early voting's already started. <laughs> True. As we record this, that is correct. Early voting has already begun. Julie Chambers um, finishing up her first four-year term on the school board, HSC school board, uh, seeking another term, at, seeking re-election in District 4. Thank you, uh, Julie Chambers. Thank you, Casey Alexander. And thanks uh, to Kate Lancer for her contribution to today's podcast. Thank you.